The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is Jason Wilson from GameSpeed. Hello! And today we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of things. Um, we're going to be talking about Sword Coast Legends, which I believe just came out. If it didn't come out, then it'll be coming out very, very soon. It was out last week. All right, then. Uh, we'll be talking about a tiny bit about Divinity Original Sin, which is now out on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. I know Jason has some thoughts on that front. Then we're going to finish with some mailbag questions, and we'll get to see who wins the Dragon Quest Heroes Slime Collector's Edition. But let's get started right away. Jason? You know, Kat, hmm. I love Dragon Quest Slimes. I don't own a single one. You don't own a single Dragon Quest slime? No, and I'm thinking I need to buy some. That's a really cool price you're giving away. Well, thank you. Um, slimes are adorable. Uh, one of the mailbag questions, and I'm sorry to the person who sent it to me. I'm afraid you're not the winner, but please keep listening. Uh, they asked, what is the best, um, what is the best NPC or, or what is the best basic enemy that you'll find in a, uh, an RPG? And I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's obviously the slime. It's obviously the slime. Yes. Like, I can't think of anything else. Like, Final Fantasy has the goblin. Um, everything else, like, kind of skews, goes kind of tropey, uh, RPG tropey, but Dragon Quest, you know, the slimes are immediately identifiable and they're super cute. So Well, and they're fun and they come in such a wide variety. But, you know, the slime is, is kind of at the heart of what Dragon Quest is. You know, it's that one familiar thing. You know you're going to find it first. You know you're going to fight it. You know it's going to smile at you as you beat it up. Yes, it seems to enjoy being beaten up. And plus, they're like... So, so they're sadomachistic slimes? I don't think they feel it because they're made out of goo. Oh. And I also like uh, that in Dragon Quest V, if you get a slime, it has a name Gutrude, which is just the best uh, name for... Yeah, that's Dragon Quest. Yes. Um, And they'll like come together and form a king slime. You got your metal slime. That's fun. You got your slime knight with the knight riding a slime. So... Now, every time I think of, every time I see the Murloc Knight in Hearthstone, I, I think Slime Knight now. <laughs> yeah, but he kind of reminds me of a Slime Knight. He's got a, you know, a little bit of the same color. Hmm. Yeah, no, I can, I definitely see that. Um, I think the thing that I like the most about Murlocs is just the noise that they make. Oh, yeah. Oh, so my, my kids love the noise the Murlocs make, and so I have to make it around the house whenever they want me to. What's the, um, What's the name of the new card in the grand tournament uh, that will summon a Murloc, like, if you use Inspire? That's the Murloc Knight. Is it the Murloc Knight? Yeah. Uh, I love the Murloc Knight. Yeah. Especially because... I, I especially love when you use Inspire. This is in Hearthstone, by the way. When you use Inspire and the Murloc Knight summons another Murloc Knight. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, I, I apologize. I already knocked us off the rails, and we're oh, whatever. Been two minutes in, so... It's a podcast. listening... I apologize. In any case, uh, no, Murlocs are actually um, a sneaky one. They've come, they've become a staple of uh, Blizzard RPGs, I would say. Well, there's even a Murloc, it's a statue, 
But there's a Murloc in Overwatch already. Yes, there is. Of course there is. Um, and there's a Murloc in Heroes of the Storm. Mm-hmm. And I haven't played Heroes of the Storm in a few months, but... Neither the, have I. The Murloc was one of the more annoying characters because you could kill it super fast, but it would keep coming back. And so it was the thing that you did not want to focus on, but my teammates kept focusing it. And I'm like, no, don't kill it. You'll only make it stronger. Anyway, so let's move on to Sword Coast Legends, which is the new sure. D&D RPG by Wizards of the Coast. Hence, uh, well, not hence sword, hence the name, but uh, I believe the Sword Coast is a setting in D&D. It's part of the Forgotten Realms. So this is the same world that... In fact, the Sword Coast is where Baldur's Gate is. So it's the same world that all the events in Baldur's Gate happen. You know, the Sword Coast is right under Icewind Dale. So it's it, it's all the same area, even. What's the most recent notable uh, D&D game that came out as a video game? Well, if you're looking at the games... Neverwinter, the RPG that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, there's the MMO from Cryptic. There is Daggerford, Dungeons and Dragons Daggerford, which we don't talk about because it was one of the worst games I've ever played. Yes. Did that come out in like 2011? Yeah. Yeah, that was not a good game. That was a really bad game. Every time I play it, within the first minute, my character falls through the floor. Oh, no. I mean, I, I've never been able to get further than a minute into it because of that. Yeah, Jason and I used to work at GamePro together. And I remember, I seem to remember that you were ranting about that game a lot. I was ranting about a lot of things at that time. So say we all. All right. But the, the last real good, real Dungeons & Dragons experience that was an MMO on PC was 2008. And that was Netherwinter Night Storm and Zaheer. Oh, yeah, so is that the one by Obsidian? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that was kind of was a weird Obsidian. one, too. Yeah, it was good. Not as good as uh, Mask of the Betrayer, which is one of, still one of the best RPG experiences of the past 10 or 15 years. I Mask think. of the Betrayer, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. but Summers of Here was more of a back-to-the-old-school-of-the-gold-box games with a larger party and more guys you could customize. And... I mean, you could say Pillars of Eternity is basically a uh, Dungeons & Dragons game. Oh, yeah. It's totally a Dungeons and Dragons game. It's everything but D and D in it. And we had that really solid run of D and D games from the late nineties into the early two thousands with Neverwinter and Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment, so Yeah, so it's been inconsistent, but there's been a marked difference since um since the deal with Atari was done and since Wizards won in court against Atari, they took the IP back. They don't license it anymore. Instead, they work with specific publishers and developers on their games. In fact, Wizards of the Coast is now a publisher of video games, if you really think about it. Weird. And so so they work with uh, Perfect World for Neverwinter, and then they've got this agreement with Endspace and Digital Extremes to do Sword Coast Legends. Hmm. So, Sword Coast Legends. I have played it a little bit. Um, it sounds like you've played more than I have. Yeah. I've played the the GM mode. Okay, I'm midway through the story second act. Okay. So and I've done a little bit of playing with the um design tools. So what do you think of the story? 
Uh, I like the story so far, and what I like about the story, and this is going to be pulling it outside of just the game, because right now, Sword Coast Legends fits into the entire world of what's going on with the Forgotten Realms and 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons very well. And that, that was on purpose. That's a purposeful choice that Wizards of the Coast made. They wanted all their stuff now to be linked together in some way. And so this one is a tale of taking place in Luscon and then areas of the Sword Coast North, which is also where right now all the books are pretty much taking place. And it's where the MMO is really focused because it's Neverwinter. Neverwinter is the next, is next door to Luscon. And so all these stories are intermingling, and this really pegs into the current line, which is Rage of Demons. So this meshes with Archmage, which was the most recent book to come out. It meshes with Out of the Abyss, which is the current campaign that's going on right now, and it's all about demons. You're a big Dungeons & Dragons fan going way back. Going way back. So you're super invested in the lore, right? Yes. yes. And does this do justice to that? It's It's... It's more respectable to the lore than anything I played in years. Oh, okay. So, um, and you're like huge into lore, like this really yeah. matters to you. And, and, and it comes down to just very little things. And so first of all, let, we'll talk about one of the characters who has a tie to one of my favorite things in the um, story narrative of the Forgotten Realms, which is the Harpels. They're this group of essentially crazy eccentric wizards that live in this place that Sensible people tend not to go because it's so crazy because they're wild with their magic and they're wild with many other things. And one of the characters that can be in your party is a necromancer whose name's Hobbit Shaw. And he was so out there that this group of mages kicked him out. <laughs> well, you know, you never want an out there mage. Just uh, just ask the Warcraft guys with Medivh and... That one guy who became the Lich King. God, we're getting into some Warcraft a lot today, but I guess that's kind of on my mind. But anyway. And so the Bitterus are now just a group of werewolves who live outside of the Harpel grounds, and they still take care of them while trying to find a cure. So if they're willing to, you know, have Lycanthropes hanging around, then you know that this mage did something really bad, or did something really dumb, or did something really, you know, really so out there that to get kicked out by the Harpels is just noticeable as hell. So that's a very good story hook. We're already there with Hamet Shah. Um, the realms, well, the, you know, realms lore is what all of us D&D nerds call this stuff. Um, you know, you've got confirmations of dead gods being back, just like Fifth Edition has said it was bringing back pretty much all the gods who have died in the past to the Forgotten Realms. And you're finding totems and little things to all these other gods, and then you're finding out that Baal is indeed alive. This is the god who were the Baal spawn of, in Baldur's Gate. Um, so it's it, it's just very respectful of that lore, and you can see it everywhere. It's no surprise that it's super respectful to the lore, given that this is Wizards of the Coast we're talking about. Yes. And they are going to guard the IP jealously. Yeah, and they're doing a good job with that. And, you know, that lore is, you know, that, that lore is still there in Neverwinter, but I mean, it's an MNO, so it feels so different. But, but, you know, it's, it's really shining in here. You know, your map looks like a, one of the maps you'd see from one of the books. Um, they've done a really good job of trying to get the models for the monsters to resemble the current arcations for the monster manual. So what do you think of the scenario design? Um, so far, it, it, 
it's got some good ones, but it's, it's got some boring ones. Um, so first of all, and, and it was so funny because I was thinking about this right before I was getting ready to podcast. I was getting my coffee in my kitchen, and I was looking down where we're keeping a bunch of rat traps because we got some mice. And I haven't caught any yet. But I was thinking, you know what, you're having to kill rats early on in Sword Coast Legends. And I thought we got them past that in, in role-playing games. And the first time I found one, I was like, oh, okay, this could be a joke. Or you'll do some silly joke about it. No, 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 you're killing rats. And that's that's boring. <laughs> they're playing it straight. They're, they're definitely playing that straight. Uh, but it's got some it's got some interesting things. I mean, you're in the sewers getting in, from Luscon into the city, and you have to deal with a uh, group of were-rats who um, have gone underground because a group of dark elves are there and have pretty much gotten rid of them. Those are, um, began Dayarath. I'm sure I just butchered that name, but um, the ones of Jar Alxel from R.A. Salvatore's books hmm. who control the underworld and Luscon. Um but there's some funny things too. There's some things I really like, such as there's a um, you're doing you're doing a mission for a uh, alchemist, and he wants you to go get a sample from this giant black pudding that's been living off all this runoff from the sewers. And it's like, oh yeah, don't kill it. Just you know, just hurt it, but don't kill it so that you can get a sample. Well, of course you kill it, but but still. Um, but you know, you've got you know, party members who have things happening to their loved ones, they're going to go investigate, or, oh, that shadowly friend of this other party member whose quest you got to look at. But then, again, it's interspersed with, um, you know, reading some tombs of some new, very interesting NPCs who tie into realms lore in very interesting ways, such as the, um, the Ashen Priest. I won't spoil anything further from there, but it's got some nice tie-ins to established lore that I really enjoyed. Um, when it comes down to the scenarios for the combat, so the combat and the magic system is very different. You're not getting, you know, spells per level, as you would in a D&D game. You're, um, the abilities feel more MMO-ish. So you have, like, rank 1 magic missile, rank 2 magic missile, etc., etc. So, um, you're using these abilities with their cooldowns instead of just, I memorize three spells this level because I'm second level, so I get two firsts and one second. No, no, no. It's not working like that. So that's a little different. It takes some getting used to it. It affects everything about the combat system. Um, you know, these creatures and the enemies you face all have inflated hit point values. You have inflated hit point values as well, just to make the combat system work. But for example, a fireball doesn't seem to really have much of an effect, and that's kind of sad. Yes, yeah, so fireballs should like send enemies flying, you know. Even if they evade, you know, you can still do some good damage to, you know. And I'm fighting low level, you know, low to mid level characters. A fireball should still have some sort of impact with them, and should still have some sort of you know, way to help even the odds a little bit, but it doesn't yet. Um, once I pump that up, I'm sure it will, but... So there's definitely some unbalanced to the combat that I that I really am trying to get used to and getting out of the, okay, it's an adaptation of the game, it's not a translation. Whereas, you know, the Baldur's Gate, the Infinity Engine games were really good at translating the game roles, whereas this one's adapting them. 
Are there a lot of choices that you can make with your character? Not yet. Role-playing choices, or is it mostly combat? It's it, You've got choices you make, but they're not consequential yet. Mm. Um, there's a couple that, that are important, such as, you know, you can start allying yourself with one faction or another, or uh, making decisions that affect how, how you're standing with NPCs, but but it's it, it's not as developed as I would like at this point, and I'm hoping that changes and it gets better. But you know, you you, could, you contrast this to Divinity: Original Sin, um, Enhanced Edition, which is out now, and almost immediately you're making decisions there that impact what's going on around you. So, for example, you know when you have the party talk, and you can play off one character to another in your party and make a decision. And it's like, oh. That one likes you more, and you can see a little thing that says romantic appears over a character. Um, you're not seeing that in Sword Coast Legends yet. I think Sword Coast Legends feels a tad underdeveloped as an under RPG. And I would also say that its production values don't measure up to a lot of uh, more recent Western RPGs. I, I think that Pillars of Eternity and Divinity Original Sin both look considerably better than it. Um, it looks a little too generic, which is unfortunate because it's coming from Wizards of the Coast, so it should not look generic at all. Um, I, no. I, I, I can't say that I was super impressed by the character models, the environments, the, the spell effects, which, yeah. I mean, fine, whatever. Um, graphics aren't everything, but that was something that really stood out to me. And I thought, in addition to being a lot deeper and telling, from the sound of it, more interesting stories, and being, uh, they're a lot more attractive. So, uh, Sword Coast Legends has some pretty formidable competition in that regard. It does, it does. Um, somebody, and I can't remember this, but on the Steam form for the game said, uh, this looks like Neverwinter Nights 2. Yeah. And it's, it's not that much better. From there, and at the time, never Winter Nights two looked really good. Um, you know, you've got little things. You know, your your current armor and your current gear reflects on your character. If it's a holy weapon or a weapon with radiance, uh, your your sword's glowing appropriately. If it's dripping poison, it's dripping. But um, you know, the the graphics definitely do look beyond uh, you know older than what you might see from Pillars of Eternity or Divinity at this point. Which is really interesting because it makes you kind of wonder, well, this is a game that had publisher backing. Those two were both games that were developed on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, I mean, Obsidian is obviously a studio with AAA experience, and they've made these games. But, I mean, given that they were <clears throat> clearly not going for super, like, over-the-top <clears throat> in terms of graphics... Um, Pillars of Eternity looks great. And one thing that I remember, you'll forgive me, but I think it was the director, um, we were talking and he said, yeah, uh, we, we really pumped up the pyrotechnics with our spell effects because, I don't know, game, player, gamers like big explosions. They like their, they, they like to feel powerful with their spell effects. And it's true. They do. Uh, they if they if they use a fireball, they're expecting impact, and 
as inane as it sounds to say this, I'm not sure that Sword Coast Legends delivers that. Well, what you see is, you know, there's definitely impacts on the spells. I would say from the production point value standpoint, the spells are probably the, the, the spells and some of the monster attacks are the best part. Um, so slimes and oozes move and behave and attack and act in a way that they've never had in any other game I've played before. Yeah, I mean. They, they've nailed that. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, there's, there's points where you really see it. Uh, you take a look at even your most basic cantrips, and they look fantastic as they're going off. Yeah, no, um, I agree to an extent on that front. I'm not saying it's all bad. No, I'm just saying that in comparison to oh, yeah. a lot of other RPGs, it looks dated. There's some parts that look dated, especially uh, when you put it next to Divinity, which I think is the best looking of the three. Um, yeah, I would... I would say so. Divinity is a very good-looking game. Um, in terms of and talking about the stuff that maybe is good, I did like the GM stuff. So, uh, Sword Coast Legends. One of the more notable aspects of the game is that there are kind of development tools in the game, so that you can make your own module and take your friends on an adventure, like in real time. Like you are the G. You can be the GM. And you can effectively be telling the story and you can do things like you can make the weather like you you can change the weather. You can like drop enemies. You can take direct control of enemies. Um, If enemies are too strong, you can rebalance it so they're a little weaker. If they're too weak, you can rebalance them so they're a little stronger. So you have a, a good degree of control over how things unfold, which is good. Um, I think <laughs> my favorite moment, I, w- I was playing a module with the developers who were showing it to me. And I think my favorite moment was I walked into a room with the, the little boss that I was fighting. Um, and he wasn't like super powerful or anything. He was like, God, I, I don't remember, like maybe a, a leader of trolls or something. Um, and I realized that my party was about to get surrounded. So I did what anybody, any like good RPG person will do. And just, I retreated immediately to a choke point because I didn't want to get flanked and, and destroyed. And normally you can lure enemy, uh, enemy units into that little choke point and kill them piecemeal. But and the characters, sure enough, started to do that, but because the GM was like, uh, no, and yep. stop doing that. So he was able to, uh, stop the kiting, like, right away, which I thought, I mean, it's a small thing, but when you have humans controlling the enemies, that can make a difference. Yeah, and I think that's where this game's gonna shine. It's gonna be in how it treats multiplayer. Because, obviously, you don't have those options in Pillars, and you don't have those options divinity um so i I focus more on the creation tools uh trying to make a module as opposed to just taking over part of a game and and being the gm and and it's been a little frustrating um all these creation tools have been frustrating over the years in the neverwinter nights series uh you almost had to be a programmer to understand them 
And then this one is much easier, but it swings a little far too far to the other way. I can't figure out how to make my own custom maps. I just have to modify the maps that are given me based on the environments I choose. And that I don't like so much. And you have these monster sets, and you have item sets that you can use. But you can't craft your own items. You just use the ones that are in the sets. And that's a little frustrating, because while you could probably find something to make anything work, and I, I tried to recreate the Caves of Chaos from the Keeps of the Borderlands, and w- while it's definitely not representative on the map at all, um, because I can't make these custom maps, I was trying to make some of the counters to be similar, which I was able to do, but I mean, then again, it's just, just encounters. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do support-wise. They plan on having you know a number of expansions for it. They call this a digital box set, and they plan to be offering more in the future for what you can do with it. So it'll be really interesting once we once what will happen if three months, if six months, if seven months, if nine months, if a year from now, we can actually start more of that customization inside the module building tools. So do you like it? I like parts of it, and I don't like other parts of it, and other parts of it are just underwhelming. Other parts I really like. Uh, it's the attention to detail for the world that I really like, and that means a lot to me as somebody who's been reading the books and playing the games and playing the tabletop game through most of his life from third grade on. And But, you know... There's some other things that I don't like. It could look better. Some of the scenarios could be more interesting, and they might get more interesting from there. Um, the main storyline's interesting. It's the side quests that so far haven't stood out. Um, the other thing I don't like is too many of the boss encounters feel like MMO boss encounters. Um, there's one in particular where he's got some toadies and he can destroy the toadies and then you get them down to X amount of health and then the toadies come back. And that totally feels like an MMO thing to me. I don't want to be mean. So I'm not going to be mean. But I, um... I, I wasn't that impressed with what I saw. Yeah. No. But And, yeah. and not only that... There's no shortage of really good top-down RPGs that are, or isometric RPGs, I suppose, that are in that particular style. And this year alone, we've had two really phenomenal ones. Plus, we've got Shadowrun, and I, I, I'm just not seeing it. I mean, yeah. unless you're a really hardcore Dungeons and Dragons fan, which I'm not, I. I'm a tertiary fan at best. I have played some D and D. I've I enjoyed it. I, I I like how elaborate it is. I know in gen it engenders really fond feelings among its fans. But as an RPG, um, outside of the GM tools, which are fairly cool, um, I think that this is a, a second tier RPG, which is not great when you consider how great. A lot of the other stuff out there is right now. Yeah, I, I can't say first or second tier yet until I finish it, but it, it, it's definitely got some problems, and that's kind of sad. Well, in any case, I think I think Mike Williams is reviewing is properly reviewing it for us. 
Um, he's reviewing everything, so he's just crazy busy. That's probably why he hasn't finished it. But is that also why we haven't seen him on Twitter in like weeks? <laughs> yeah, no, we locked him in a room. He's being forced to play everything. But I, I would say that if I were playing a demo or if if I were making a buying decision right now, I probably wouldn't buy it. But um. Yeah, so Sword Coast Legends kind of earns an eh <laughs> from this podcast, but maybe a game that does not earn, that earns a little more than an eh, that we seem to both like, Divinity Original Sin, which got tons and tons of really positive word of mouth and reviews when it came out last year on PC. It's now on the Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Jason, have you been playing it? Yeah, I've been playing it a little bit. Um, so I played multiplayer with my reviewer, and I played some on my own, and I've tried to play it with my wife, who says it's slower than Diablo 3. I don't like that. Um, well, it's nothing like Diablo 3. <laughs> well, like, yes, of course it isn't. It's a turn-paced game. <laughs> but, you know, just... Can I just say that Diablo 3 is one of the best couch co-op games I've ever played? Oh, it's fantastic. It's great. You know what I did with my friends? Did I tell you this? No. We, I have a couple of friends in Washington, D.C., and I bought the PlayStation 3 version of Diablo 3 just so that I could have, just so that we could play together, and we played over Skype. So Diablo 3 actually supported me playing with my girlfriend and then them playing in Washington, D.C. Uh, together in one party over Skype, and it was great. See, we played, my wife and I played Diablo 3, starting on the PlayStation 3. And then when the PS4 came out, and I said, okay, we're going to move up and we're going to get Reaper Souls and we're just going to buy it all on PS4. And she didn't understand why I wanted to do that. But but she quickly got to it because she ended up liking the controller a lot more. My wife doesn't play a lot of video games. The controller is a lot better and it looks a lot better and it yeah. moves a lot better. Yeah, and, and once she started playing it and seeing just you know how much different it looked, she really liked it. And we recently um, finished the main story for the first time. Mm. And so now we're getting to do some of the post-game content. Yeah, Divinity Original Sin is not a button mash game. No, it's not. You might end up mashing buttons at some point because I mean, you're so frustrated. You can make your significant other into a mage and play at a re- relatively low difficulty level. I mean, <laughs> my girlfriend was playing as a mage, and she was just like, Unabeam! Unabeam! From, like, Iron Man. Yeah, Which no. is great. She was just burning down enemies with like these heat rays, and we my, were having a blast. My wife didn't quite get to that part because she got frustrated at how slow it is to get loot. Oh, and in Diablo. Because well, you get it all the time in Diablo. Okay? Right? Yeah. the me- The menuing the menuing was really annoying in that game. Yeah. So so um, so now getting back to playing it with my reviewer, mm-hmm. which was hilarious. So. Uh, I don't know what it is about game speed, but I, I, I we, we seem to be the magnet for old people. <laughs> uh, well, if you're like an entrepreneurship type, like slash business slash mobile slash yeah, whatever but, game, I mean, right? okay, so, you know, you know, our lead writer's fifty. Uh, first, I had reviewing this is in her early fifties. Uh, she's been reviewing and writing. Ah, uh, you're talking about the reviewers, the reviewer side. Yeah. So you take a look. You take a look at. You take a look at her. You know, she's in her fifties. I'm in my forties. So between us, we've got like, you know, 60 years of playing RPGs. And 
we got stuck on a stage. And not only did we get stuck on a stage, we got stuck on the most boring, stupid place to get stuck stage of the game, which is that little overworld where the imp is at. Okay. And it was because we didn't realize that the waypoint system was buried in a menu. Because on PC, it's on a little tilting that's on your map. So we got stuck, and by the time we realized that, it was like, duh. So we got playing with that. We got that working. And then we're all playing around the first town. And it's really, it was, you know, I've never played it multiplayer before, co-op before. I'd always play it single player. And there's this one point where you have to put on a stage show to distract from this other stage show to steal this talking head. And that was that was a hoot, getting that organized. And she was doing the stage show, and I was sneaking over and stealing the talking head. <laughs> How'd that go? No, oh, that went fantastic. That went fantastic. And we take it back, and first we did figure we neither of us did the quest of the original game, so we had to figure out where to take it. And you know. Sometimes you're a second time through an RPG, you skip through too many of the story tips. We skipped through a little too many of those, and it took a while to figure out we had to bring it to this house's cellar. And we, we, I mean, it was it was it was, it was hilarious because one of the great things about Divinity is the sense of humor it has. That's just completely goofball off the wall. And I mean, how many games are you stealing a talking head? I mean, I can't think of many, but. And no. That is a pretty amusing little side quest there. Yeah, and then, you know, and, and it was just so fun. It was like, I'm showing my wife, oh, yeah, you get this skill to talk to the animals, and I was able to get milk for the cow. And she's looking at me, rolling her eyes, like, why the hell would anyone be interested in this? And I'm just giggling, because I, I find it so funny. So this sounds like a true role-playing experience right there. It's yeah. not just about... It's fighting alongside your your friend or whatever. It's actually like enacting scenes mm-hmm. and working together. I think that's pretty cool, actually. That was that was one of the strengths of Divinity. So Divinity had three strengths, in my opinion, from last from the PC version. Um, the story was it, was it was not just a good story, but it was a little open ended when it came to what you were doing. You didn't feel like you were stuck going down a story just to finish progress, I mean, just to make progress, or to finish progress, or to do things, or to open up more. Um, it had lots of freedom in how you could attack things. The second thing I really liked was the combat system. Not so much the turn-based combat, because, you know, that's that's how it is. It's AP-based systems, so you get a amount of points to do amount of actions. But in the way the elements all work with each other, you could be sitting, you know, your enemies could be standing in water, and then you could fry them with a lightning bolt, and that lightning bolt goes through all the water, or you could summon a rainstorm on them and then freeze them, and then they would freeze up like icicles and would be uh, missing turns because of it. So it, it would it allowed you to use what was around you. Or you, you know you, you could take poison and then blow it up a, a flame spell and then get a big old explosion. Um, that was my second thing I really loved about it. And then the third thing I I, I liked about it was just how good it looked and how all this stuff was reflected in how the game looked. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was, it was was still, you know, quite a feat that Larry had pulled off for a game that was on Kickstarter. And all that stuff's with the PS4 and Xbox One versions. The, um, the hardest thing is, of course, getting used to doing all this on the controller instead of with the mouse and keyboard. Um, as I said, some things are buried in menus. 
other things like say your skills during combat, you have to pull up triangle on the PS4 and then it comes up and you select what you want, which is a little of a pain in the butt. But since it's turn based, you know, there's no time limit there, you're not worried about dying as this is all happening. So how many people made this game? I don't know. I never not many, right? Larian. Now Larian's been around for a long time, and they've been making Divinity games now for a decade. And you know they were one of the first to go to Kickstarter. They came up after um, Obsidian and Double Fine when they went to Kickstarter, but they they were a rousing success there. And the game is just it's impressive, regardless of how it was funded. So they added quite a bit bit to this version, and... A thousand changes is what the PR said. Yeah, I know. I was looking through the complete change list just now, and it's actually pretty ridiculous. But just, like, off the top, uh, just... Just, like, at the top of, uh, the top level, I mean, they added local co-op for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Local co-op split-screen for the first time. Yeah, well, you know, I mean... You know, I don't think Hot Seat is something that people do in PC games so much anymore, besides what, Civ? I think Civ's the only game that still does that. On um, PC? Yeah. Um, it's the only game I know of. I might be wrong. To my knowledge, yeah. Yeah. Um, but now, like, all the characters are fully voiced. They got uh, new quests, new characters. Um, they rewrote the story and added a new ending. <laughs> Yeah. They dramatically reworked the visuals, and I gotta say, it looks better than quite a bit better than it did on the PC, which it, looks, it already looked very good. Yeah, um, it, look, it looks great. You know what? You know what else they did? And they're the first. They're the first European studio that's done this right. Is the text isn't so small you can't see it from your couch. Oh yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? Well, you know, The Witcher. That was a problem with The Witcher. Wasn't it a problem with Diablo as well? Yeah, but not, not, not that big of a problem. Uh, I've been playing, so I've been checking out Grand Ages, which is a, um, a, a kingdom strategy game, you know, something kind of like Grand Strategy that you would see from Paradox. And it's, it's hard to play on a console, not because of the controls, but just because I can't read the text. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's definitely a problem. Because um, a lot text. of these games are designed to be played next to your computer screen. Yeah, but you know that's the thing. The PS4 is selling so well in Europe, it, it, it's totally killed Xbox. Uh, it's like, what's an Xbox in Europe right now? Uh, it's just like you know, PS4, PlayStation, and Xbox in Japan. It's a very similar situation out in Europe. So developers are bringing their games over to console because there's been such a penetration. That's a new audience for them, but it's an audience that's played their games in the past on PC, and. But they haven't nailed this, how, to, how to handle all the text yet. So it's kind of like going back to the time when the first Xbox came out and a bunch of PC developers were jumping onto it. And they were figuring out how to, the difference between making a console and a PC game. Well, a lot of folks in Europe are now figuring this out. So, given the choice, would you play this on PC or console? Um... That's a very good question. Uh, my, my answer would be both, if I could weasel out that way, but you're not going to let me to. So I'm going to say console, and, and for this reason, because 
I, you know, the last real good console PC RPG style game, from in my opinion, was Knights of the Old Republic. And, because, uh, because, um, you know, as good as Dragon Age is, the first Dragon Age plays horribly on a console. No, yeah, no, it's atrocious on a console, it's yeah. Atrocious on a console. And Dragon Age 2 doesn't feel like a PC RPG to me anymore. It feels more like a console RPG. And certainly with Dragon Age 3. Um, I really like Dragon Age Inquisition, but we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about this in the past. Um, but this, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing you'd be playing on a PC. And it's got that same crunchiness that I love. You've got all this gear. You can do some crafting with that gear. The combat is innovative in that it takes the elements and environment that you're in into account of your combat, which is not something RPGs have really done very well over the years. So I'm I'm going through Heather's um, what you'll like and what you won't like so far on GamesBeat, um, which you can go check out. A little free plug there. Um, so she said that it offers some tremendous improvements, but also some annoyances. Yeah. Um, and some of the things that she says you won't like. Um, it was quite a difficult game in the original PC version, and it's only gotten worse from here. Would you agree with that? Um, uh, yeah. Um, considering that we spent half an hour dying to orcs. <laughs> Take one moment early on when I and a role-playing comrade at Gamesbeat cough, Jason cough, for stuck in a snippet of an alternate setting, probably no more than a hundred yard game yards long. That's what I already mentioned, yeah. Yep, That's, exactly. That was kind of embarrassing. And she said console controls could be clunky. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's really cool having this PC RPG. That's really just a PC RPG, and it playing like a PC RPG on a console, and it working. I thought it was fine. Yeah, I, I thought the UI was fine and, and relatively makes, easy to navigate. Yeah, and what makes that work is because it's turn-based. If this was a real-time game, it would be totally horrible. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you like, in a game like this, do you prefer turn-based or real-time? Turn-based, all the time. I, I prefer the, the hybrid, you can pause and set things up and then just let things roll on kind of system. I like turn-based because sometimes I really take my time. You sometimes take, really take your time? I mean, you can pause forever. Yeah, but, but, you know, for example, let's go back to Swordcourt's Legends. It uses real-time pause that you first started seeing in Baldur's Gate mm-hmm. and in Engine games. But, you know, on combat, you can set it up to automatically pause at the end of a round, at the end of actions, when someone dies, etc., etc. I like having that everything ends and pauses at the end of a round before the next round starts. And, and this is totally my, you know, being an old man RPG guy here. Um, that's what I came up with, that's what I'm used to, that's what I like, and then I like sitting there and studying all my possible actions, and, based on the knowledge I have, my opponent's reactions, and how I'm going to find a way to beat them. Well, we're running out of time, and but I think we both agree that Divinity Original Sin, definitely worth picking up no matter what platform you're on. Um, no matter what platform, and picked up the Enhanced Edition. I mean, uh, the console version is going to automatically be the Enhanced Edition. But if you're on PC. I think you get Enhanced Edition free, actually, if you already own the game. Well, that's cool. I did not know that. 
Yep. Uh, which is awesome of them as well. Um, Divinity Original Sin. It's weird that it's flown a little under the radar, but yeah, it's an excellent RPG. It's very attractive, very deep. Um, there's a lot to love about it. Even if you aren't nominally a fan of Western RPGs, I think that it adds some things, uh, that JRPG fans might actually enjoy. Uh, one thing that stands out to me, you know, definitely the banter between the two characters. Um, it's done really well, and it kind of reminds me of what they do in Dragon Quest, for example, where you can also banter with your party. Except um, it has an effect on how your party relates going forward. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, the turn-based combat is definitely nice if that is the kind of game that you prefer. So, Divinity Original Sin, I believe it is now available. It is available as of this recording, so go check it out. So now we're going to finish up, Jason with a couple of mailbag questions. Mailbag! Yeah. So I'm going to read three questions, and the last one is going to be the one that gets the Dragon Quest heroes. What were you going to say? I don't know what I was going to say. I like reader questions on podcasts. I know some people don't, but I really love it. Really? Yeah, because... I mean, who wouldn't like reader questions on podcasts? Because some people refer don't like it when the listeners get involved because they want to listen to the people who are talking. <laughs> But I want everyone involved. Excellent. All right. So here's the first question. It's from Michael Powell. And this one just kind of jumped out at me because it's from a a journalist's point of view. And he said JRPG, but let's just say RPG for the sake of the podcast because we love all RPGs on this pod. If there were no PR or embargo restrictions to deal with, who is the one RPG director slash producer that you would love to interview one-on-one? And what would your be your first question? And he said that he would love to interview Reiko Kodama, who worked on the Fantasy Star series and the um, Skies of Acadius uh, series. So how about you, Jason? Who would you talk to, given the choice? So the guy I would talk to is a fellow named David Shelley. Mm-hmm. He's the lead designer of, uh, well, he was an associate producer at the time, of uh, the gold box D and D games, so they go going way back, back to SSI, and these games mm. are now on um, good old games, which is really cool. You can play them again, and they work. And it's fantastic. And he's got a new studio. It's called um, Tactical Simulations Interactive (TSI) of SSI, <laughs> and they, they had a failed uh, Kickstarter for a game called Seven Dragon Saga, which is, you know, trying to recapture the spirit of those. Gold Box games, which was all about technical D&D combat. And I would love to talk to him more about the process of making those games and what it was like working with TSR, because this was before Winston Coast even existed and bought TSR out, and what it was like working with TSR and how much input it had and how much creativity was left to them. Interesting. I would interview Satoshi Tajiri of Game Freak one of the main creators of Pokemon and the guy who for whom the character Satoshi from the anime the Pokemon anime was actually named for. And the reason I would love like to interview him is because, I mean, he created the series, which I've played a lot of over the years. Um and he's kind of a recluse. Like he's very hard to get interviews with and I've tried on many occasions to be able to visit Game Freak or meet the people at Game Freak. Um, and 
that's a really secretive studio. It's like going to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory or something. You know, it's very interesting you bring bring them up, because in a couple hours, Nintendo is going to announce its first mobile game, and I'd be mm. very surprised if it's not a Pokemon-related thing. I don't think it'll be a Pokemon-related thing, because oh. Game Freak, Game Freak kind of does their own thing. Yeah, but I think it's going to be something. Oh, yeah, it's gonna be something. It's gonna be something Pokemon, and it's gonna be different. It's not They've already done Pokemon on mobile, believe it or not. Not, not under Nintendo, though. Under their own. <sighs> I mean, Pokemon is an obvious choice, and god, if you, even if they just ported one of those games over to mobile, like, it would sell like crazy, right? I, I, you know, I say it's gonna be Pokemon, Pokemon Monster Strike, is what I think it's gonna be, but. I say it's going to be an original game. Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll know soon. Yes, yes, we will. But I I don't know exactly what I would ask him because um that would be the kind of interview that would be very wide ranging. Um, I would ask him. Okay. If I were doing an interview, I would ask him. So, did you want to be a zoologist or a paleontologist <laughs> or you know were you really into dinosaurs as a kid? He liked bugs. It was all about bug collecting, actually. Um, and the funny thing about Game Freak was that they were just a bunch of nerds, you know. They had it, that, that's where their name came from, was that they were Game Freaks. They had a magazine that they published, a fan, ma- a fanzine that they published in Japan, and then they made a game, and they just hit it so absurdly, ridiculously big. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, like, like, what his mindset is in turning Pokemon into this global marketing empire. Uh, I, I find that component oddly fascinating, almost. And I also find the fact that, and I'm also really interested to know how, to know, like, some of his perspective on how they've managed to balance Pokemon being really hardcore, a really, actually a very hardcore uh, competitive RPG with just being super accessible and open to everybody. Um, especially when you consider that Yokai Watch, which some people have touted as the kind of the successor to Pokemon, is like a complete 180 from it. It's yeah. like it's accessible in the extreme to the point where it's almost not an RPG at all. So I, I, I find some of that fascinating. So yeah, I would I would definitely interview him. All right. So next question. This is from Sean Kinley. Kindly, um, apologies if I did not pronounce your name correctly. He says, I would say the three pillars of a good RPG are story slash characters, battle system, art slash sound. I can think of several examples where a good health battle system carried an otherwise dull game or you fought through dull gameplay because you were invested in the story or characters. When all three are good, you get touchstone games like Persona 4. Right now, though, I'm playing Legend of Legacy, and the art and soundtrack are carrying the game. The battle game system has a little strategy to it and the saga-style opacity, but it's not the selling point. The story is practically non-existent, but I love the art, and the Masashi Hamazu soundtrack is absolutely stellar. Can you guys think of any RPGs you enjoyed where the experience was carried by the art or the sound? Um, one game that comes to mind immediately for me, The World Ends With You. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was going to be my choice. Yeah, that 
Normally I would say that an RPG that's all style and no substance is not necessarily the most appealing thing. But I, I feel like the core of The World Ends With You's appeal is so much bound up in its unique setting and being set in Shibuya. Um, just its overall look. Like I know some people were turned off by it, but I, I just really like the stylized manga-esque uh, imagery of it. And the music, which the soundtrack's phenomenal. I, I think one of my favorite things about the soundtrack in that game is that it progresses as you go uh, through each day. So as you get from week week one compared to week three, for example, the music is completely different, right? So I, I kind of like how they subtly change the dynamics just by what songs they choose for the soundtrack as you progress through the game. The um, since you since we both have the same choice, I'll offer another one, and for me, that's Shadowrun Returns. Oh yeah, and I'm not a huge fan of the combat system. The story's okay, but for me, it's the look. Hmm. I love that look that they nailed, and this is another isometric game. Yeah, those isometric RPGs—they work really well, don't they? Yeah, and they really got that you know Shadowrun style that you've seen going back to the RPGs from many years ago. Here's a funny thing. I think more than almost any genre, an RPG can get away with not looking that great. Oh, agreed. I think that it's actually kind of the opposite. If an RPG has a phenomenal battle system, it can get away with having a not that great a story and kind of like, and kind of like middling graphics and sound, well, as long as it's really thoughtful in its approach to its mechanics. And that's actually an odyssey, if you think about it. I mean, hell, you look at Pokemon, as long as we're on the subject of Pokemon. It wasn't <laughs> until this generation of games that it, they, the characters even truly animated. I mean, in Pokemon Black and White, like, they kind of animated-ish, but it was very, very basic. Uh, like, Pokemon has not never been a game that's been overly concerned with presentation, but it's always done extremely well, and why is that? Because it's just a fun game. It's a great game. It's well-made. So, it has a good soundtrack, too. But, I mean, you were just talking about the Gold Box games as well. I mean, <laughs> those games were... Oh. Weren't great shakes in terms of graphics either, right? And, and not only were they not great shakes, but by by the end of the Gold Box series, uh, you know, you know, the, the Dark Queen of, of Crin, for example, uh, they were they were down downright archaic, and, and they did some things to make it look better, but they were still ugly. But they were great. They played well, had good stories. The funny thing is, I I'm saying all this having just slammed Sword Coast Legends uh, presentation. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that all RPGs, like, can automatically get away with it. Yeah, but you're just kind of beholder eye-blasting it on several levels. I, I kind of, I, I guess I kind of am, aren't I? <laughs> one more, one more RPGs kind of thing that I think really gets by on its art and sound has been the Vanillaware games over the years. Um, I would say what you want about the actual character designs, but um, ugh, everything by George Kamatani looks great, sounds great, and you just want to play it, even if the game itself isn't super 
uh, isn't super memorable. I mean, Odin Sphere being first among them. I mean, some of its later games have been better, but <laughs> dang, like, they're just so eye-catching that you can forgive a lot, I think. Now, now, Odin Sphere, that, that takes me back. So this reminds me of one of my first most ridiculous questions I ever had when I was working a one-up. Um, what's it? So, so the review comes in, and Andrew Fitch did the review. Uh, so oh, Fitch. I remember Fitch. And he was writing about sheep trees. And I said, what the hell's a sheep tree? And big red marks on the, on the copy. Okay, and what were they? <laughs> exactly. You know, there are trees that had sheep on them. But, um, you know, I will always remember Odin Spear for that. And it gets hmm. back to that distinctive style and look that you're talking about. Odin yeah. Spears and, and Vanilla Wears games don't look like anyone else's. Yeah, I think, I think that I, art, art, at, really good art actually is important to me. In the, in the sense that I think that if a game has <coughs> phenomenal art, it can elevate it. Um, beyond just like, like it can elevate it in my mind, I should say. Uh, Valkyrie Profile being a, an example of a game that is kind of really elevated by its art. I feel like it's, it's a really, not just a good looking game, but a distinctive looking game. Yeah, but it, it played in such a way that would also helped it stand out. Oh, for sure. And I think that a welly, a really well rendered world with really distinct art can kind of make a game pop. Uh, and keep it memorable, and that can really help in a game where a, a type of game, like an RPG, where world building is so important. So I guess in a roundabout way, I'm saying that graphics are important, so I'm just shallow. Well, it comes down to graphics need to help build your world. Yeah. And if they, look, if they fit with your world, and you take a look at the world when ends with you, you know, it wasn't exactly the best-looking game of all, but it was so distinctive that it showed you what the world is. And it got you to buy into that world. Indeed. All right. So this is the last question. This is the one that won Dragon Quest Heroes Slime Collector's Edition. Tiger GT33. I picked this one because it was a fun question and it's thematically appropriate because just a few days ago was the Back to the Future Day where obviously Marty McFly and Doc Brown came into the future. And his question is, in honor of Back to the Future Day, let's say Doc Brown asks you to come back to the past to help him change a hypothetical present reality in which video games exist, but the RPG genre doesn't. Or in other words, no RPG has ever been created, released, or heard of. What RPG would you bring with you in the trusty DeLorean to show creators of the past as so to inspire and help them change this horrible, disastrous, and unimaginable no RPG present reality and why. <laughs> okay, you know what? Yeah, sometimes maybe our audience should participate. <laughs> no, because we know, uh, you know that video games wouldn't really be what they are without tabletop RPGs and tabletop war games. Are you saying video games would never have existed without RPGs? Yeah, not in the form that we know them. Not in the form that we know them, but they'd exist. I mean, Pong was the first ever video game. It was not an RPG. But they would be all sports games then. No, they wouldn't. 
I mean, are you saying that a platformer is an RPG? I'm saying that because of the RPG, everything else is what stemmed out from it. I think that a certain kind of game stemmed out of RPGs. Uh, but in the end of the day, we would still have narratively focused games. Like, games would still try to tell a story. They just wouldn't necessarily try and render everything through numbers. It was just that a lot of developers played D&D, so D&D was a convenient shorthand for everything. Or chainmail. Or, or chainmail, sure. Or, or, or those old war games. Yeah, well, war games, D&D came from the war games, right? Yeah. It's so, really the war games we have to think. Yeah, I mean, it, it stretches back a long way. So even though D&D was incredibly important to the inception of the medium, I think it's... I, I definitely think the medium would still exist and it would not all be sports games. So going back going back to this question, you know, taking back the game, what game would you show? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. I have a, I have one in mind and I think it's pretty obvious. Which one? I wanna hear yours first. Okay. Barbie wants to say Ultima Four. Ultima Four, okay. So the Ruins of Virtue, right? Yeah. And it's on good it's on good old games, but that's really where the first time, in, in my opinion, that uh, Richard, Richard Garriott's attempts to create a world, create a narrative, and have a good RPG all together at the same time, where you can make choices and it all makes a world react to you and happen. All comes together first. Couldn't you imagine bringing these, this game to this hypothetical Biff run, uh, horror future where there's no RPGs because Biff's a, a jerk and apparently killed off the D&D creators? Well, that, I can see Biff doing that. Yeah, and he only likes shooters. Uh, that's why I like this, this dystopian world exists. But. Or it's a game where you make you hit yourself. <laughs> um, wouldn't you, wouldn't these developers go, man, this game's Boring. <laughs> what is I this? I don't know. It looks so dated. Well, yeah, but what if you're going back to 1984? I mean, if you're going back to 1984, it works, but I think you said hypothetical present day, right? It's an alternate present day. And I'm getting really pedantic because I'm a nerd. The show creators of the past. <laughs> no, that's actually a good answer. I think Ultimate Four is obviously like a pillar of the genre, it's a fantastic choice. Um, I would pick Dragon Quest. I would you know, probably I pick Dragon Quest Eight. And even though Dragon Quest doesn't necessarily, or no, sorry, I'd pick Dragon Quest Five. My 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 apologies. Even though Dragon Quest doesn't have the kind of intense sort of customization and storytelling, I mean Dragon Quest has the roots of two of our greatest RPGs in it, which is Ultima and Wizardry, right? Yep. Which so have the roots of D&D. And they tell really great stories. Yep. And they really capture the essence of what makes RPGs great. And it just does such a phenomenal job of putting you in the shoes of the character. Um, the battle system is enjoyable. Uh, it's turn-based, so it kind of uh captures the roots of it uh, of the genre in that regard um it's a pretty direct descendant of dungeons and dragons um okay. a ton of rpgs owe a ton to dragon quest so 
I think that if I wanted to help them lay the foundation, I would show it to them, which is kind of funny because if I recall correctly, Dragon Quest came about when Yuji Hori saw Ultima Wizardry. Yep. So it'd be like kind of the reverse thing, right? Yep. And they, and, you know, it's funny because they recently talked about this on Retronauts, Jeremy and Bob. And they're talking about how, you know, Hori played all this Ultima and Wizardry. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's, there are other RPGs that I think would be a good choice to show. Um, would you show Divinity Original Sin? No. Or is it too complicated? It's too complicated. It's, it's, it's too uninviting. <clears throat> and it's totally what it is, where it is, and where it stands. It's like, you know, you know, I still think Baldur's Gate 2 is one of the greatest games of all time. But if you don't have the context behind it, to go with it, you know, you bring it back to somebody who's never seen the RPG, they're going to look at it and go, what the hell's going on? I don't understand. So you're saying that they wouldn't have the vocabulary it, to be able to pick up that kind of game? Yeah, not only would they have the vocabulary, but they wouldn't have any idea of how to approach it. You know, there's, you know, one game maybe for the last 20 years, RPG-wise, that you could do that with, especially if it's a, it's a, if it's a future where, you know, the the Bithron world loves its shooters would be a um a Fallout three. Oh yeah. No, that's that's a good one. Yeah. Or, um but they would probably be like, This is super clunky, what the hell? Or um, you know, what what you know, Elder Scrolls four or five. Oh maybe like Skyrim? Yeah, you know, either Oblivion or Skyrim. Just because mm. it has that first person vantage point that's you know, you can immediately relate to it. And there's so many touchstones of fantasy culture in those games that are, are easy to relate to. And you would finally figure out the, the mechanics behind it. Yeah, and everybody likes dragons. Yeah. But I, I also think that, I mean, the open world stuff would definitely translate really well. Um, mm-hmm. And they they might be a little flummoxed by the skill tree, but I think that they would be able to work around it pretty easily oh, yeah. because Skyrim, Skyrim and Fallout, like they they they're the they're the RPGs that really like transcend the genre and yeah. grab a lot of people who would ordinarily never pick up an RPG. Yeah. Well, what's great about them is they, um, to me, the way they treat the open world lets you create your own stories in so many ways. Hmm. And, and you know, if that's the one difference between The Witcher Three and Skyrim, I would say is. In The Witcher, you're playing, you know, Geralt's story. You're playing, you're playing CD Projekt's story. In, in Skyrim, you could just forget about the story Bethesda laid out and just play your story. I just want to see like how their minds would explode if we put like Xenogears or Final Fantasy VIII in front of them. Well, if you put Final Fantasy VIII in front of them, they, yeah, they would not like it. You think they'd like Persona Four? No. You don't think so? It's Japanese. It's cool. Yeah, but in this world, they probably don't like Japan. Oh, I mean, I think in this world, Japan runs everything. Oh, you think? Oh. Yeah, like, Japan's taken over because, uh, America's fallen into, like, an economic, like, morass, you know? Because of uh, RPGs. Well, because of, well, that, yeah, I mean, just, you just have dumb gamers running around. And so not only that, but Biff, like, runs everything. Dumb stuff here, cat. <laughs> I, I, look, this is what I do. I overthink everything. <laughs> 
It's Biff's obviously taken over, so like the economy's probably collapsed. I mean, you saw freaking like armored vehicles driving around. It's like anarchy in Hill Valley. So, you know, the Japanese have moved in and filled the economic void in 1985, and that was that. They never fell apart again. All right. So, thank you, Tiger GT33. Congratulations, you're the winner. Drop me a line on. US Gamer, um, just send me a reply and send me your address so that I can send you your game. Um, I also, I'm, I'm gonna do, and if you didn't get your question read, uh, sorry, it was, I had a lot of good questions, I enjoyed them all. Um, I have a bunch more games sitting here, I got a, an extra copy of Divinity Original Sin, I got an extra copy of Dragon Age Inquisition Game of the Year Edition for Xbox One. So I think that I'll be doing another giveaway pretty soon because, hey, it's the holidays. It's the season of giving, right? In the meantime, Jason, um, plug some stuff for us. Well, okay, so I'm going to plug Gamespeed, of course, which you can find on venturebeat.com slash games. Um, but I also want to plug something else this time of year. And, you know, this is a really good time if you've got a few extra bucks lying around to go find an extra live stream. And find somebody to eat back. Ah, yes, charitable. And what about Twitter? Oh, well, I'm Jason underscore Wilson, all lowercase. Yes, I enjoy your Look, tweets. Looking very grumpy with fried chicken in the background. <laughs> Where did that come from? The fried chicken? Yeah. I made it. I was very proud of that batch. Oh, good job. That's awesome. I haven't made a batch that good ever since. It's been there for like six years now. <laughs> And of course, you can, you can of course find me at the underscore catbot and check us out over at US Gamer, all of the social media channels, etc. Thanks for sending me your questions and we'll be doing another, well this was kind of a mini mailbag, but we may be doing a more fully featured mailbag in the future. I have no idea what we're talking about next week, but I can tell you that Fallout 4 is looming and will be coming very soon. And, of course, we got a whole bunch of other stuff. There's never stuff to run out of when it comes to talking about RPGs, especially this time of the year. So we'll be back next week. In the meantime, for Jason, thanks for dropping by, Jason. God damn it, now you have me going to go to Popeyes. <laughs> and I've been Cat Bailey, and until next time, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.